Today we move into the second and final act of Mark's Gospel. If, you've, if you're new with us, we've been going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. We've just finished up act number one, and now we move into act number two, which is the final act. Jesus now has his face set fully on the cross. Now last week we saw the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees and of Jesus' own disciples. But don't think for one minute that Mark is now moving on to something totally different. Don't think for one minute that this story is not connected to the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees and the spiritual blindness of his disciples. You see, after Mark has just shown us two groups of people who are blind and cannot see, Mark now shows us a blind man who can let us now turn to Mark chapter 8, and we will look at verses 22 through 30. Verses 22 through 30, if you don't have your Bible with you, these verses are in the bulletin. Verse 22, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say? I am. Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. This is God's word. Now, at first glance, this healing is kind of odd, isn't it? It appears that Jesus' first attempt at healing this man didn't work. <laughs> right? So he he put his hands on him, he spit into his eyes, and he says, what do you see? And the guy's like, well, I see some people, but they kind of look like trees walking around. And Jesus is like, oh, man, let me try it again. <laughs> so he does it again, and then, oh, okay, the second time is the charm. All right, now he can fully see. Is that what's really going on here? Did Jesus fail? In his first attempt, no, sir, he did not. <laughs> he did not. You see, every commentary I have on Mark, and I have a bunch, they're all saying the same thing. When, when all commentaries are saying the same thing, probably legit, probably pretty significant. Uh, they are saying that Jesus is using the healing of this man to, che to teach an important lesson. To teach an important lesson. You see, this... Real-life healing actually becomes a living parable. Becomes a parable. You see, as I told you, 
The last two stories are that we just read last week of the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees and the spiritual blindness of the disciples. See, they're connected. They're connected to this story. This was a real story for sure, but it becomes a parable for us. Jesus is teaching us something super, super important with this healing. What is he teaching us? Well, it has four parts to it. Number one in your outline. We are all spiritually blind. We are all spiritually blind. Now, we have seen several healings so far in Mark's gospel. And it's really interesting that in almost all of the healings, Jesus does it a little different way. The method is a little different each time. You know, sometimes he's got mud, you know, uh, and he's putting it in people's eyes. Other times he's spitting in their eyes. Uh, other times he's spitting on his hand and touching tongues. Other times he just thinks it. He doesn't even say anything. He just thinks it and he says, go home, your daughter's healed. Right? So it's, there's, <laughs> there's all these different methods. Uh, he just doesn't do, do it the same way each time. Now, why is that? What does that mean? Well, first of all, it means the creator of the universe, we must understand that the creator of all things, heaven and earth, he doesn't need to do anything to heal someone. You see? He doesn't need to spit on his hand or spit into someone's eyes. He doesn't have to do anything to heal someone. So, the, the various methods that he used cannot be for him. They cannot be. They must be for the person he's healing. And they must be for the audience, which includes you and me. We are the audience, too. We weren't here in the first century, but we are here now in, in God's living word. So they're for the person, and they're for the audience. And so here Jesus spits on the man's eyes, and it takes him two tries to fully heal his eyesight. And he's teaching us something really important here. What is that? Well, we, we have to put this story again in context. This is not an isolated incident. The previous story is clear that not only are the Pharisees spiritually blind, they cannot see who Jesus is or why he has come, but so are Jesus' own disciples. Isn't that incredible? Jesus' own disciples, as we saw last week, are blind to who Jesus is and why he came. So, this man in our story today is a symbol for everything Jesus taught in the previous story. He is a symbol of the Pharisees, a symbol of the disciples, and a symbol of you and me. We are spiritually blind. And the depth of our blindness is very deep. It's very deep. Why does it take Jesus two tries to heal the man? Jesus is teaching that our spiritual eyes don't get to 2020 in one instant. They just don't. Our spiritual sight gets better over time as Jesus continually moves in our lives. But it doesn't all happen in an instant. No, you see, spiritual sight being able to see Jesus and his mission in this world is a process. It's a process. 
Though the instant we are saved, we have sight for the first time. We have spiritual sight for the first time. We don't have perfect vision. And you know, we never will on this side of heaven. When we were first saved, you know, it was, it was amazing. We could see for the first time. But, you know, the people, they kind of looked like trees walking around. Like everything wasn't clear and it was super exciting. We were super jazzed up, but everything wasn't just crystal clear yet. You see what Jesus is teaching. He's showing you that, yes, you are justified in an instant. In an instant. But you will be sanctified over a lifetime. Over a whole lifetime. Until you will eventually be glorified. After you take your last breath. And you will see the king of glory. With perfect vision. Now here are two very quick practical lessons from this. Number one. You should never get impatient with people who can't see as well as you. You should never be impatient. So let's just stop patting ourselves on the back for all of our Bible knowledge and all of our church attendance and all of the ways we can see Jesus and see him working in this world. The only reason that you can see the things of God better than others is because Jesus has enabled you to do so. It was grace all the way. All the way it was grace. And so just as blind people can't cause their own eyes to see, you didn't cause your spiritual eyes to see. Jesus did. He caused you to see. This should give us a great amount of humility. A great amount of humility and a great amount of patience with others. A great amount of patience. The irony is, if you look down your nose at others, who don't see quite as spiritually good as you. It only proves that you can't see as well as you think. Christians who can truly see understand the wickedness and the failures in their own lives. And they know that it was only the radical grace of Jesus that is saving them and growing them. They contributed nothing. <laughs> they see that they deserve absolutely no credit. They walk around with a great deal of humility and patience for others. Number two, don't freak out when you're not as far, as, as far as along as you think you should be. Don't freak out when you can't see spiritually as well as you'd like. Jesus knows what he's doing with you. He knows what he's doing. Sanctification happens in stages. It's a lifelong process, and that's exactly the way Jesus wants it. It's exactly the way Jesus wants it. So not only be patient with others, be patient with yourself. Be patient with Jesus. And rest in the promise that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. He will. Rest in that promise. Give yourself a break. Give Jesus a break. He is growing you. I promise. He is. Just relax and rest. Okay, point number two in your outline. Okay, so we're all blind. 
But what are we blind to? That's point number one. What we are blind to. What is it that we cannot see? Well, there are many layers to our spiritual blindness. But there's a root. There's something deep down at the bottom. A foundation of our blindness. There's one thing we're blind to that causes all the rest of our blindness. What is that? Well, Jesus shows us. Look at verse 27. Verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? Now, right here, we see a major, major difference between Jesus Christ and every other founder of every other religion. This is wildly different than anything any other founder has said. You see, every other founder of a religion comes pointing the way to God. They come giving us a spiritual roadmap, if you will, on how to get to the afterlife, on how to get to the Creator. And so all of their teachings point upward. They point upward. You know, follow the five pillars or the five ways or the whatever. There's, there's always a path you should follow and it's pointing upward. It's how you get to the afterlife or get to enlightenment or whatever the various religions call it. So all of their teachings point upward, but Jesus is much different. Much different. All of Jesus' teachings point to himself. You see, every other religious founder has come to say, hey, I have come to show you the way to God. And Jesus comes and he says, I am God. I am the way. And I've come to take you there. I have come to take you there. I have not come to show you the way. I have come to be the way. And so right here in verse 27, see, no, Muhammad never said anything like this. Who do you say that I am? Jesus says, though, that what really matters, what really matters in life for every human being is what do you think about him? Who do you say that he is? That's everything. And this is what we're blind to. We cannot see who Jesus really is. You see, it doesn't take divine intervention for you to think Jesus is a good teacher. No, it doesn't take divine inter intervention for that. It doesn't take divine intervention for you to think that Jesus was a good prophet. Maybe a great prophet. It doesn't take divine intervention for you to think that Jesus was a wise sage. No. Pretty much everybody thinks something along those lines about Jesus. Pretty much everybody. But it does take divine intervention for you to come to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. It does. And it takes divine intervention for you to see what this God in the flesh has come to do. 
on your own, you will never, ever reach that conclusion. The conclusion that Jesus is God in the flesh and he's come to save you. You'll never get there. Look at verses 28 and 29. They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, look here, one of the prophets. Look how Jesus responds to that. Verse 29. But what about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? And the word you in the Greek here is very strong. He puts the emphasis on you. What? Who do you say that I am? Jesus makes it personal with his disciples. And how does Peter answer? He says, you are the Messiah. In the Gospel of Matthew's more detailed telling of this event, after Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus replies and says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You see, Jesus didn't give Peter any credit. <laughs> he got the right answer, but he gets no brownie points. No brownie points for the right answer. Jesus is thrilled with the right answer, but he knows right away where it came from. Yes, Peter, you're right. But you didn't figure that out. <laughs> My father told you who I was. Peter did not put two and two together and conclude that Jesus was the Son of God. He did not. The only reason Peter saw who Jesus was is because the Father gave him eyes to see. That's the only reason. And it's the same with you and with me. I know your conversion story, it might seem like you figured it out. It might seem like you put two and two together. You know, you read the books, you went through the Bible study, you read the Gospels, and then, oh, light bulb went on. I figured it out. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. You were blind, and the Father made you see. That's what happened. Point number three in your outline. So that's what we're blind to. We're blind to who Jesus is. But why? Why we are blind is point number three. Why we are blind. Why are we so blind to this? <laughs> Here's why. Because if Jesus is king, that means we're not. We're not king. And that's something that we cannot accept. We will not accept that. It's the same thing that happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. It's exactly how they were tempted. They had no problem abstaining from eating the fruit until what? Until the snake told them that they could be like God. <laughs> and that was a game changer. Oh, wait a minute. We could be like God? Oh. Well, that changes things. That changes things. That is something that none of us can resist. We can't resist it. We love the idea of being in control. 
We are all addicted to self-sufficiency. We want to run the show. We want to call the shots. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul, says everyone who ever lived. And so when Jesus comes along and says, uh, no, I'm running the show. I'm calling the shots. And apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a direct quote from Jesus, by the way. When he says that, <laughs> no, sir. We can't deal with that. I'm getting along just fine without you. Thank you very much. We just refuse to believe it. We refuse. Jesus can't be God. I'm God. I'm the God of my life. We can't see Jesus because we're so busy looking in the mirror. And how beautiful and wonderful we are. We just can't stop looking at ourselves. We are fully addicted to and controlled by self-centeredness and pride. And we're like the alcoholic who says, Yeah, I drink some, but I can stop anytime I want. Actually, no, you can't. You are addicted to yourself. Addicted. And that brings us to our last point. So we are blind. We are blind to who Jesus is. And we are blind because we want to be blind. We want to run our own show. So point number four, how we can see. How we can see. Well, the answer is pretty simple. I've already given it away. Christ must cause us to see. That's our only chance at sight. And how does he do that? How does Christ cause us to see? Well, the hint is in verse 30. Verse 30. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now, this has happened many times so far in Jesus' ministry. Over and over, he heals or delivers people and then tells them to be quiet about it. He says, hey, hey, shh, shh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anyone. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Because Jesus knows that eventually, eventually, word of what he's capable of will get to the Roman authorities and the Jewish religious authorities and they will kill him. He knows that. And so, Jesus is carefully orchestrating this whole thing. Don't you think for a second Jesus ain't in control of every step of the way here? He's controlling everything. And he doesn't want the authorities to come for him just yet. He doesn't. He still has work to do. But the main point you need to understand here is this. It's this. 
Every single time Jesus uses his redemptive power, he's putting a nail in his own coffin. Every time. Every time he drives a demon out. Every time he causes the lame to walk. Every time he raises someone from the dead. And every time he gives sight to the blind. He's one step closer to the cross. And if we skip to the end of Mark's gospel, we will see our story today play out in reverse. We'll see it play out in reverse. You see in Mark chapter 15, verses 33 and 34, Mark writes this, At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lima, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, in our story today, the blind man went from darkness into the light. But on the cross, Jesus went from light into the darkness. The anguishing darkness. Not only the literal darkness of the land, but the anguishing darkness of being forsaken by his Father. Folks, that's the darkness of hell itself. That is what hell is. On the cross, Jesus lost the eternal cosmic light of his Father's loving presence. Why? For you and for me. Jesus Christ willingly left the light of his Father to be plunged into absolute darkness so that he could bring you out of your darkness and into his glorious light. On the cross, you and Jesus traded places. He took what you deserve for your sin so that you could get what he deserves for his righteousness. He went into the darkness so you could be brought into the light. And you know, the cross wasn't the only time Jesus was plunged into darkness. Christmas is coming up. My favorite season, a lot of people's favorite season. And at Christmas, we will celebrate another time when Jesus went into the darkness for us. Lucy Shaw wrote a poem about this from Mary's perspective. The poem is called Mary's Song. And the poem ends like this. Blind in my womb to know my darkness ended. Brought to this birth for me to be newborn. And for him to see me mended, I must see him torn. See, Jesus on Christmas morning came, he came out of the darkness of Mary's womb and into the light on a mission, on a mission to go back into the darkness at Calvary.
so that you could come out of your darkness at your second birth so you could be born again and come from the darkness and into the light. The glorious light that will last forever and ever and ever. I love how the poem says, and for him to see me mended, I must see him torn. What do you see today? Do you see him torn in your place? Do you see that Jesus became blind so that you could see? If you do, if you do, then the scales are already falling from your eyes. Let's pray together.